are in a series called Distractions, and what we're talking about is like in any different, any relationship we have, we can get distracted and that relationship will begin to suffer. And so if you are a parent and you are distracted in your career, it is going to have an effect on your kids. Uh, if you are a, someone who's married and you are distracted by somebody else, that is going to have a bad effect on your marriage. If you're single and you're so distracted with having a date or getting married or whatever, and that's your big, big, big focus, you're going to have all your relationships suffer. And so what we're talking about is how this affects our relationship with God. And so in our first week, we talked about being distracted by unmet expectations. That was on Easter. And then last week, we talked about being distracted by uh, regret. And so we had paper shredders up here, and we wrote down our regrets, and we shredded them, and they're gone now. And uh, I actually, I put a lot of them back together again. And man, <clears throat> you guys are super messed up. But um, <laughs> no. We, we did it, right? We threw it out. But anyway, um, and so that, that was last week. This week, what I want to talk about is the distraction of comparison. That we are hardwired as humans to compare ourselves with each other. And further, we, in no other greater time in history, have the ability to compare ourselves with almost anybody. It's called Facebook. It's called Instagram. It's called social media. We can go on now and I can look at your life and this life and that life and I can say what I don't like and what I do like and all this kind of stuff. Now, some of this comparison is good. Um, sometimes we'll see somebody and they've lost 70 pounds or whatever. And so we see that and we go, you know what? If they can lose that, I can lose five pounds. And that's, that's called inspiration. And that's great. Um, one of the examples in my life of that is, um, Joey, our, 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 uh, bass player this morning. Um, he just keeps getting better and better at the bass. It makes me want to play my guitar more. And that, that's good. That's, that's a good comparison. Sometimes you'll see somebody's marriage and it's a good, healthy marriage. And you think, what do they do? What are some of the principles that they do? And so uh, then you do the same thing. And, then, and that, that's great. That's not the comparison I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the other comparison. Their career. Their house. Their kids. Their spouse. We have an innate, we are hardwired to try to figure out where we fit in the pecking order. We're just hardwired that way. And for some of us, we compare and we think we're better than them. And so we'll look on Facebook or we'll look at this or we'll hear a story or whatever. And it'll make us actually, in a sick way, we'll actually feel better because of their failure. Or is that just me? Okay. <laughs> right? You guys are like, wow, we should get another pastor. Yeah. Probably, but whatever. Uh, or, or we'll look and see, oh, they're so much better. And here's where it gets really uh, complicated. Because typically we don't even compare ourselves to one person. We pick one specific thing out of their life that we're trying to, that we don't measure up with. So we might look at one person and we want their body, okay? We, we, we look at their body and we think, oh, if only I had that body, okay? We look at another person and we want their career. 
We look at another person and we want their kids, okay? Or, or even worse, we don't want all their kids because we don't even like their kids. We just like that one kid, okay? The one kid who's getting a, a 4.0, okay? And not even all of that kid because they're a little annoying and arrogant. Just the grade point average. That's all we want. And so we'll do this and we'll, and, and, and we'll get real specific. And it's exhausting. And if you find yourself in an exhausting pace, there's a really good chance, probably a 100% chance, you are not following God. Because God does not want you exhausted. God does not want you going after this and going after that and going after that. And if, oh, if I only could do that. And, you know, pastors, they're, they're notorious for this because they look at somebody else's church and somebody else's congregation. I mean, I know this because everybody wants our congregation. But the point is, uh, is that this is just going on. And, and in your career, you, you, you're probably the same way. If you're single and you, you're, you look at somebody who's uh, got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or whatever, and you're thinking, man, if I could just get that, doesn't it just get exhausting? Maybe you're in school and, you, and you're, you're, you're working just as hard as everybody else in your classes, but your grades aren't the same. And you think, if I only had their mind. Well, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at two sections of Scripture. One is in the Old Testament, and that's going to set up this idea that we all struggle with this idea of comparison. It's hardwired into us. And then we're going to go into the New Testament and look at the solution to how do we get over this? How do we get past this? Okay? So um, if you brought your Bible or you're looking on a mobile device, we're going to start out in Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a... um, So uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, uh, the Bible says he's the wisest man that ever lived. He wrote three books, and they're not really books. One one of them kind of is a book, but the other is just an accumulation of wisdom. And so the first one is Proverbs, and that's like if you're under 40 years old, just read the book of Proverbs every day because it gives you a lot of really good advice on how to run your life, okay? If you're over 40 years old, your book is Ecclesiastes, okay? That's the one that just says, well, there's nothing we can do. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I, I did my best in the first half. Uh, here we go to the second half. That's Ecclesiastes, Okay. That's not what it is. I'm just, I'm just saying. Okay. And then there's Song of Solomon, and you can only read that if you're married. Um, and, and so that's like a, like a, just a se- sexual book. Anyway, um, so, so we're going to go to Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a basically the Solomon making these observations, okay? And so as it relates to comparison, uh, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 5. Here's what he says to start out. Fools fold their hands, and ruin themselves. So we're starting with the idea that it's not good to just not care. So as we, as we compare with each other, or we compare with people on the internet, or we compare with people on television, um, one of the pendulum swings might be like, uh, don't achieve anything, don't try anything, you, you, you can't make it. But, but Solomon is saying, that's foolish. To just fold your hands and not try, that doesn't work. And, but then he goes on. He says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil. It's better to have a career that's good 
that's tranquil than trying to get everything you possibly can and be toil. It's better to have relationships that are tranquil than trying to get everything and toil. It's better to be tranquil. It's better to not have to feel like you have to measure up to everybody. You have to achieve too much. So fools fold their hands, okay? They don't do anything. But now he's trying to show the tension of as you begin to do something in your career, in your relationships, in your, um, in your finances or whatever, if you are going after everything, two handfuls, it's toil. And he says one other statement, and chasing after wind. You will never, I will never get, if my, if my um, uh, life is comparing myself to others, I'll never make it. You'll never make it. Because there's always going to be someone smarter. There's always going to be someone richer. There's always going to be someone thinner. There's always going to be someone smarter. Did I say smarter already? I don't know. But a smarter person would know what I said. So, I mean, But th- that's it. There's always going to be someone healthier, this or that, or whatever. If you're going for everything, if you're going, I, I, I want to be better than this person, you'll never, ever measure up. It's chasing after wind. As a matter of fact, I want us to know this so much, I made a really dumb rhyme this week um, so that you will remember. And so what will happen is, hopefully, if, if I do my job right, you'll be on Facebook, um, probably now, and uh, um, <laughs> And, and, and I, I'm hoping this phrase will pop into your mind. When you compare, you chase the air. Isn't that great? You ever been, you ever been to park? Wow. That's wow. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Let me write this down. Dumb, dumb rhymes work really well with this group. Okay, good. I, I, I got that down. When you compare, you chase the air. I don't know if you've ever been in a parking lot and you see a piece of paper or you've dropped a piece of paper. And so, and so you go to pick it up, and it's like God goes, you know, and, and you're like, seriously? And you go to pick it up, and then, then you stop, and it stops, and you're like, and then you go to pick it up again, and it, and it takes off. This is what comparison is like. That you go to get something, and you, and you achieve it, and you, you become the person that you thought for this particular area of your life. But then there's something better. It's... It, the, uh, so, uh, Solomon's saying it's chasing the wind. It's exhausting. When you compare, you chase the air. You'll never find it. You'll never get to a certain place. If you're trying to be better than someone or at least measure up, because here's the question that I have for you. Whose standard are you measuring yourself against? Your dad's? Your mom's? An in-law? Yours? Whose standard are you measuring your life against? Because if it's not God's standard, it's chasing the air. Because that standard moves. When we compare, we chase the air. It's just what happens, and it's exhausting. He goes on, and he says, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun, which is a phrase that Solomon uses a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why I said it was for those people who are over 40. Um, he says this, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. Now, uh, in this culture, basically what that means is he didn't have any responsibilities. He had no one to provide for. He was going to get the inheritance of the family. If he didn't have a brother, it was him. He was going to get everything at the end. And he had no son. So he didn't have to 
create an, uh, uh, an inheritance to leave to anybody. So this is where we find this man, this meaningless under the sun man. There was a man, he was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. And there was no end to his toil. There was no end to his toil. He just kept working and working and working and working and working and working and working. Now, for this particular man, it's talking about finances. But some of you are, and I are in this place. We've chosen a certain area of, my, of our lives. And, and we're just going and going and going and going and going and going and going. And we, we, go, uh, we look at someone else and we think, oh, they made it and they didn't make it and all this kind of stuff. There's no end to that toil. There's no end to those feelings. And so he, he goes on, there's no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So he was making a lot of progress and things were going fine, but he just couldn't stop comparing in some standard that he made up in his own mind. And then here's the question that he asks himself that we should be asking ourselves. He says, for who am I toiling? I, I, we don't really use that phraseology much, but yeah, yeah, for whom am I, whom am I working? Why am I doing this, essentially? Am I going after two handfuls? Why am I not content with who I am, with what I have, with my relationships? Why am I not content? That is a great question. If we could ask ourselves that question this week, in our jobs, when we go online, when we do all these things, for what am I, who am I toiling and he says, and why am I depriving myself from enjoyment? In other words, if I'm working and working and working, I'm missing out on enjoying what I already have. The relationships I already have. The automobile I already have. The, car, the um, house I already have. The apartment I already have. The boyfriend or girlfriend I already have. If I am always trying to get more and more and more, if I've set up a system of my body has to look a certain way. And uh, th th if I'm doing that, it's, it's toiling. I miss out on the enjoyment. Here's what he says. This too is meaningless. It doesn't make any sense. And then he, he says this. I love this. A miserable business. <laughs> <laughs> Comparing and striving and trying to get two handfuls and, and wondering why you got this and they got that and, and, and you're better than this person and worse than this person. It is a miserable business. It's exhausting. When we compare, we chase the air. We can't get a grasp on it all. And Solomon is saying, this is just what happens. So what do we do? How do we, how do we get past it? Well, I want to look at another section of Scripture that's very important that is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote um, many different letters, and they were letters to churches. And in some cases, he was telling the churches what they were doing wrong. In some cases, he was telling the churches what they were doing right. And so his, his writings are really in the context of, of, of church, which just means gathering, like what we're doing right now. We're in church, not because it's a church building, but because we're gathering. And so Paul would write these letters. And this church in Galatia, he was really specific on them. They were going back to the law. So the, the, the way it worked was in the Old Testament, there was the law. And you can read it, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all that. And you can see all these different laws and rules that God set up for the nation of Israel. Well, when Jesus came, he was God. He came in the form of man. And he, he came to fulfill the law. He, sa he said to the Pharisees, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. 
And so that we don't need to have a sacrifice, sacrificial system right now. That was done by Jesus on the cross. It was one sacrifice for all of our sins. And so when Paul's writing to the church of Galatia, what he's saying is, you guys are going back to the law. Don't do that. that that's been abolished. That's been fulfilled, I mean, yeah, by Jesus. And, 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 but there's something in all of us, in you and I, that likes the law. We like to have that. That's hardwired in us. If, if you're in line someplace and someone cuts in front of you, you know that's wrong. You knew that before anybody even told you it was wrong. There was just a law. There was, there, there was this moral code that's in, that's in you. And so you, sometimes you'll do something and you'll go, that was wrong. Okay, where did that come from? That's the law that was written in you when God created you. And so uh, the problem is, if you think that law is going to save you or make you better than somebody else, it's wrong. And that's where the church of Galatia was at. So we're in chapter 4, and here's what Paul says. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so what he's doing is he's setting up this sacrifice that Jesus did for our sins. Where we don't need to put ourselves under the law anymore. That that standard now is gone. The standard now is saved by grace through faith. And so he's setting up that Jesus was the one who took care of this. So he says, well, when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, when Jesus came, the law was still in place. And then he says a phrase that is the beginning of getting over comparing. It's the beginning. If, you can, if we can wrap our head around this next phrase, it, 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 and, and we take it into this week, and we take it into the coming months, uh, uh, anytime we're in a place where we think we're comparing ourselves with somebody else, if we can understand this concept, it'll be the beginning of getting over the, the, the uh, distraction of comparison. So he says... When he came, he came under the law. Why? Why did Jesus come? Here's the answer. That we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. That we might be adopted into this family. Now what that does is that gives us a whole different standard by which to measure ourselves. The standard is simply this. Is God my heavenly father? <laughs> am, am I in the family of God? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? See, Jesus came, born of a woman, under the law, that we might receive adoption. Now, this is a really cool word because back when Paul was writing this, um, you didn't adopt babies because you didn't know how long they were going to live. You when you would get adopted, it would be as an adult. And so there's this sense, when they saw this idea of adoption, they didn't think little kid. They thought, wow, I'm really wanted. <laughs> and let me, let me just tell you this. You are really wanted by your Heavenly Father. He thinks you're doing great. Are there some things in your life He wants to change? Sure. But they're probably not the things you're looking at. He looks at the heart. And so, and goes, and, and 
He says, we'll receive adoption of sonship. Now listen to this. This is so, this language is so powerful. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That spirit cries out, dad, daddy, Abba. This is a very intimate term in the Bible that we can actually call our heavenly father, dad. Now, I don't know uh, how many of you have kids, but even if you don't, even if you're single and you have a little brother or a little sister or you just work in our children's ministry or whatever, there's something about a little kid in a secure relationship. There's something about a little kid in a healthy home that they, they know that their parents love them. And so in this particular phrasing, I, I thought about my own kids. And I thought about the standards that I have for them as a dad and the standards that they have for themselves as a human being. And one of those places shows up in art. And so uh, if you've seen a little kid draw a picture, and I'll have an example in a second, they'll draw a picture of their family, and, and like the mom's head is all oval, and it looks all jacked up, and the, you know, it's like, it's, it, it, uh, and, and, and what will happen? That picture goes where? On the fridge, right? Now there comes a time when that kid starts getting older and older and older, and they realize, I'm not a very good artist, <laughs> And they stop drawing. Okay, so here's a, here's a picture of my daughter. She's out in the front yard drawing because that's what you do in the front yard. And that's supposed to be a tree. And that is one of the worst trees I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's just a bad tree. It doesn't look anything like a tree. It looks like an arrow or a rocket or whatever. But I want you to see the look on her face. This is how your heavenly father sees you. Okay? Now, as she gets older, and if you took that picture of the tree to a, a, a contest, she would lose. Okay? <laughs> right? Here's another picture that uh, our daughter Audrey did. Um, okay? That's of our family. She cut out everybody's head and... Uh, and I don't know what I'm doing, if I'm waving or I'm just like, what's up? You know, fight the power. I don't know what I'm doing uh, there. Um, but uh, but everybody, everybody has five fingers except for Emily. She's only got three. So I don't know what's going on. And uh, my neck actually is that strong. But, uh, but this is just, a, it's just not a good picture. It's just, does, it's not. First of all, it's not anatomically correct, and it's not to scale, okay? So, all right? So, the perspective's all wrong or whatever. So, thank you, Picassos, but uh, that's just, it's just not, doesn't look like us, right? Where do you think this spent most of its time? On the fridge. Because I love that picture. Why? Because I love my daughter. And we were proud of that picture. And we were proud of the tree she did in the front yard. We're, we're proud of all that stuff. Because I'm her dad. And so when she comes and she, with a picture that says, hey, hey, dad, the reason that pictures don't go on our fridge anymore is not because we wouldn't put the pictures on the fridge. is that they don't like to draw because they have a standard now. 
They've adopted a standard of what is good and what is bad. Did they adopt my standard? No. I'm their dad. They could draw that. Literally all my kids, 21, 20, and 16, could draw that picture right now. And guess where it's going? On the fridge. Because I'm their dad. In the same way, Paul is trying to wrap your head around leaving the law, leaving your whatever it is you think makes you in a pecking order. And he says, just receive dad. Just come to him as dad. Your career, he loves your career, okay? Your, your body type loves it. He thinks you're awesome. He'll parade you in front of people and go, check out my daughter. Isn't she beautiful? Isn't my son awesome? Your, your, your education, he just thinks you're the smartest person in the world. Okay? This is your dad talking. He loves you. And so when you adopt another law or another code or something else that is going to give you value, when you compare yourself to others, when you compare, it's chasing the air, it's exhausting. And that, that, that target always changes. If your target is simply this, I love you, Dad. I'm glad I'm part of the family. Can I talk to you? Can we spend time together? You'll hit the target every time. He goes on. He says this. So you are no longer a slave because that's what happens when we adopt this other law, this other law that Jesus got rid of on the cross. We become a slave to that law. And it, and it feels right a lot of times because it's hard. And for some reason, we think harder is better a lot of times. But he says, when you've, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, <laughs> this is such great language. Since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now, in this particular time, uh, that is just beautiful language. For us, um, you know, being an heir, you, the first question you want to know is, well, how much money are they leaving me? You know, if I'm an heir, what, are they, what do I get? Okay. And uh, in this particular case, to be an heir, uh, to have that inheritance meant secure. It meant you didn't have to worry about anything. It meant that the work you do for that particular family is going to pay off in the future because you know as you work for that kingdom, if you will, there's a benefit of being an heir. This is why we started off the morning saying, I win. You already won. There's no need to compare yourself to anyone. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an heir. You win. As a matter of fact, Again, just turn to somebody next to you and go, I win. No, no, you got to say it. No, 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 no. You got to say it with an attitude, okay? It has to be like this. I win. Okay. Okay, good. Well, eh, that, that didn't work. But anyway, uh, you win. You already win. There's no need to compare. There's no need to compare your life with anybody else's life. If you, if you call your heavenly father dad, you win. He's your dad. He's got it all taken care of. And you're an heir. Now, here's the thing. Why in the world, if I'm an heir 
And my heavenly father is my dad. And he's taking care of everything. Why would I be so foolish to compare myself to anybody else? Why would I waste my time trying to compare myself to anybody? Now, just a, a few questions for you to kind of see if where you're at. Don't answer these out loud. <laughs> uh, is there anybody... When you go online, that you secretly wish will fail. Is there anybody you look at their life and you're like, I wish, you know what? Or, or let me put it this way. Have you ever found out some news about somebody where they weren't doing that great and it made you feel better? That is the distraction of comparison. Is there anybody that you know, maybe at work or whatever, where you secretly wish you had one of their kids, <laughs> that you secretly wish you had their relationship with this, that you secretly wish you had their career. That is a distraction of comparison. It's, it's, it's chasing the air. It, you'll, never, you'll never get it. Is there something that you think if you got it, you arrived? <laughs> That's the distraction of comparison. And so this week, as we Go online as we hear stories and as we do all these. Imagine what it would be like to be able to rejoice in other people's successes. To be able to mourn with their failures. And to be able to call our Heavenly Father Dad knowing that we're fine the way we are. Now that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to change. He doesn't want you to grow. Of course he does. If there's a, an issue in your life that needs to be handled, he wants you to handle it. Uh, the, in Hebrews it says... That God is, does discipline us and that all discipline for the moment doesn't seem to be joyful but sorrowful. He, he'll do that as a dad. But your position, your value is done. You win. Now, I want to take a little bit of time as our worship team comes back up and Audrey will share a, a poem um, with us that she writes as I preach and I want to take a little bit of time to just be, have us have time with our dad to go, Heavenly Father, is there a place in my life where I've adopted a law, I've adopted a value, I've adopted a system that you don't have? Is there an area in my life where I'm chasing after the wind? Is there an area in my life where I'm trying to have both fists full, that I'm toiling, that I'm going after something I can't possibly get? Or this question, Heavenly Father, Dad, is there a place in my life where I'm not content because I have to have more? And we'll just allow, as, as, as Aju is playing music and what have you, we'll just allow our dad to talk, to speak into those areas of our lives. The other thing we do during this time is we fill out our connection cards. And um, if you're new, we'd love to get your information and just know where we can serve you and, and how we can uh, follow up with you. Um, uh, but as John Vier said, those prayer requests on the front are really, really important to us. And so maybe for you, your prayer request might be something you're going through or a family member is going through. Or maybe your prayer request is, I need help not comparing myself to whatever. Somebody else's career, somebody else's family, somebody else's thing. 
And maybe that's your prayer request. We'll pray for that this week. The other thing we do is we take our offering at this point. We don't pass a basket around, but um, we believe that this is one of the best ways to honor God is in our finances. And we believe everything we have has been given to us by Him, by our Heavenly Father, and that we give back to Him in the form of tithes and offerings. And some, some of us do that online. Others, we write a check or cash. We put it in that box in the back. So let me pray for us. Lord, to compare is chasing the air, and uh, you don't want us to do that. You love us. You like what we do. You put it on your fridge. And so, Lord, I just pray for us that these different areas of insecurity or of, of striving or to try to measure up to somebody else's standard, and a lot of times that's our own, Lord, I just pray that you would break that, that you would... Um, speak into our life. That we are your child. We are your son. We are your daughter. That you're proud of us. That you love us. And that the only standard you have is your son, Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, as we enter into this time, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that we would be quick to hear you and we would be quick uh, to follow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.